Christianity.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Well, that was not bad for a morning. We'll try it again, though, get everyone involved. Good morning, everyone. All right. Hey, glad that you're with us this morning as we're continuing through uh, 1 Samuel. And I uh, want to recap, last week we've, got, we've kind of entered into new territory in Samuel because we're transitioning from the early events to uh, you know, Samuel's life and that sort of thing into a point where he is, um, he, he is starting, uh, we're starting the process of a king coming into play, the first king of Israel. And um, while, that's, uh, while that's going on, it, it doesn't happen in a moment. It's sort of an unfolding of events that occurs over, over some time. You know? um, so that's kind of what we're working through right now. So last week, as we looked at, uh, I believe chapters 8 and 9 were what we covered last week in 1 Samuel. Um, but this is, this is kind of what happened in the lead up. So the people of Israel, they had demanded a king so that they could be like other nations. Right? But these are God's people. Right? They're not supposed to be like the other nations. They're supposed to follow God. Right? And God tells Samuel to warn them about what they're asking and what a king's going to do. He says, they're going to take your sons for his army. He's gonna t- a king is going to take your sons for his army so that he can defend himself. Now, as, again, as he's explaining this, keep in mind, Israel has had no king before. There's no like central government. There's no main ruler there's, there, there isn't anything in an organized sense going on here. So he says, look, you get a king. Here's what the king's going to do. The king is going to take sons for his army so he can defend himself and his kingdom. He will take your daughters and they will serve in his, uh, in his court. And they're, they're going to they're gonna have to serve him. They're going to have to serve his army. He will take your land because he needs produce. He will take... From your land and from your money, like taxes, he's going to need supplies for, for his, uh, his whole kingdom and, and everything that's going on. And ultimately, here's what's going to happen. You are going to be the one serving the king. He's not going to be the one serving you. Right? You're going to end up as basically like slaves. Right? And then Samuel warns them, look, here's, here's one more thing that you need to consider you're going to cry out to God when this king goes astray. And when things start going bad or when he starts doing things you don't like. And when he's unfair and when he's unjust and God isn't going to help. Like he isn't going to change it. Once we put this king in place, that's the way it's going to be. But they all say, we don't care. We want a king. So God says, alright, give him a king. And then he selects Saul. Right? And Saul, uh, with Saul, he doesn't just give them any king he gives them one who fits the most stereotypical picture of everything a king should be. Right? Saul, it says, was a mighty man of power. Right? He was strong. He was, his family was wealthy. Uh, he was handsome. Right? In fact, Scripture says he was the most handsome man in all Israel, which is saying something. And he was tall. He towered above the people. He was like, a Mr. Universe contestant, right? Or something like that. Like he, he stood out. And at first, Saul appears to have some good things in him. Right? He's devoted to obeying and serving his father and family. Right? His father sends him to find some donkeys. He travels like 35 miles to look for these lost donkeys. 
He listens to his father. He obeys the customs of the day. So he shows some character. And character should matter in a leader. But what's also interesting, as we heard last week, is Saul, uh, Saul kind of kept referring to Samuel as the prophet. Right? We went to see the prophet. There's a prophet in the land, etc., etc. Like he never really calls him by name. Never really identifies him. It seems like Saul doesn't even really know who Samuel is. Despite the fact that for many years throughout the whole land, he was known as the prophet who spoke the words of God. Right? So uh, he had this reputation throughout the land, but it's almost like Saul doesn't even really know who he is. So we aren't really sure how keyed in Saul is to the importance of spiritual things. But it seems at the very least like it's not the biggest priority in his life. Saul also mentions that he is of the tribe of Benjamin. Now this is interesting. We didn't talk about this part last week. But that's a significant uh, statement there. See, there have been prophecies. uh, Words of God spoken through Jacob, specifically in Genesis, that talked about how the tribe of Judah would be the ruling clan in Israel. Right? He said things like, the scepter will not depart from Judah. And Judah's reign would be powerful and mighty like a lion. Um, Judah, the tribe, would be the, the ruling clan. And, and once a ruler from the tribe of Judah was established, everything Jacob said was, was going to come to pass. Right? These prophecies were not off. Their role and their rule would not be relinquished. But when the people demand a king, God doesn't go there right away. Instead, he gives them someone who's a Benjaminite to rule over them. Why is that? Well, it's as if God's showing them right from the start, this is your choice as king. This is who you want. This is the kind of person you want as a king. I don't even want you to have a king in the first place. right? But you, you don't want to follow me. That's been evident for like the last 300 years. Every time I would try and lead you, you would just wander off and get worse and worse. So, the king I'm going to give you, he's not even going to be of the chosen lineage. But he's the guy you want. Right? Now, I don't know how many of you are like big fans of like the Batman movies, the series, the Dark Knight stuff, but there's, the, there's a line from uh, the Batman movie where it's uh, Lieutenant Gordon and he's, he's talking about Batman and he said, like, he's the hero Gotham deserves, but not the one it needs right now. Right? He's the hero that Gotham deserves, but not the one it needs right now. In a sense, that's like Saul. In a sense. Like different contexts. Completely different contexts. But Saul represents everything that they want in a king. He isn't a man after God's own heart. But following God's own heart is not their priority. At all. So he's the king they deserve. But he's not the one they need. The one they need is a king after God's own heart. But listen, they would have rejected him anyway if that's who God gave them. Just like they had now rejected God and rejected Samuel as his prophet. Right? So God is giving them Saul. They would eventually discover, as the story of Saul unfolds, we're going to see that he's ruled by jealousy and greediness and a self-serving attitude as he leads the nation. 
Now, it doesn't start out that way. But it quickly turns in that direction. So in Saul, they get the king that they deserved, but it's not the one they needed. Now, since Saul would be the nation's first king, again, it, it took some time for his reign to be established. And what is it, exactly does that look like? What does that mean? But the first steps involve Saul being anointed by Samuel and chosen or called into this position. Okay, and that's the part of the story we're going to look at today. So 1 Samuel, we're going to pick it up at chapter 9, uh, verse 26, as we roll into chapter 10. It says, Then, at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof. Remember, he had stayed the night at the prophet's home. Up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. He's going to speak something pretty important. So, chapter 10. Then Samuel took the flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. Right? So this is an official act like declaring Saul will lead the people. And he's uh, being anointed by Samuel with this oil. Now that was something that was typically done for the priests when the priests were instituted into leading the people spiritually. But now he's doing this for this new office, this new position of king. And for the future king. And Samuel says, and this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious for you. Anxious about you saying, what shall I do about my son? So this first encounter, this description of what's going to happen, like, look, that's something that could have coincidentally happened anyway, right? But it's unlikely for it to happen at that certain place with that specific number of men far away from his home, apart from the hand of God orchestrating things. And Samuel says, look, this is the first thing that's going to happen. Verse 3, then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. Now, again, this story in itself certainly possible. Right? Coincidentally, I suppose it could happen. Not very likely that it's going to happen exactly where Samuel says it is. But what's interesting here is that specifically Samuel says these, these men, they're going up to worship God. Right? And so he lists what they're carrying with them, and, and it almost seems as if those are items that are supposed to be offered to God like as a sacrifice or as an offering to God. Right? The goats, the bread, the wine. Think about what's happening there, right? If they're going up to worship God, that's probably stuff that they were, that was dedicated to the Lord. But instead, they offer it to Saul. 
Now this probably would leave them needing to replace those things if they were going to still honor God with their offering. right? But think about this. If someone were to offer you something that, uh, of that nature, right? Something, whether it be bread, wine, an animal, uh, or money that was supposed to be dedicated to God. If someone were to offer you something that was supposed to be given to God, don't you think it'd be wise to turn that down? <laughs> like, oh, that's for God, but you're giving it to me? Awesome. <laughs> that just seems like, eh, I, don't, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't be taking that. But look, and Saul's from a wealthy family. He doesn't need those things. But he's willing to take it from them. It kind of hints a little bit at maybe some of Saul's greed or selfishness. Perhaps his needs are more important to him than God's needs. So there's some interesting thing happening there. Verse 5, After that you shall come to Gibeah Elohim, where there is a garrison of Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying, like speaking words of God. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Don't read too much into that phrase, turned into another man, right? It's like he's going to have a changed heart. He's, it's going to be like, whoa, who is this Saul guy? What, what is he doing? Like, if this is the final sign, Saul would start prophesying. He would be like a prophet. Now look, even though the other two might be coincidental, this is only something that can be explainable by God's hand, right? The Spirit of God is going to work in Saul in this moment this is something completely beyond his ability to control. So even if Saul maybe doubted that the other two signs were legit, this should be one that pushes him over the top. So verse 7, Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I'm coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait, until I come to you and show you what you shall do. Now we're not going to get into too much of what's going on here with Gilgal, but I just want to point out for future weeks, we're going to see this kind of pattern happen again. Right? Like there are numerous times where, and one really significant time where Saul is supposed to meet Samuel at Gilgal and he's supposed to wait seven days. Okay? So uh, this is some, gives us kind of an indication this was sort of a pattern. This was something that happened probably regularly between them. So he's going to speak to him there about what God wants him to do. Right? So, um, look, Saul at this point doesn't need to actually do anything to make himself king. Right? God is the one who's bringing this about. He's bringing it about in his way, in his time, and he gives him these three signs as kind of proof or evidence that it's going to happen. Okay? Verse 9, when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. And when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? 
Therefore it became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Right? So again, Samuel gave three very specific evidences that what he was saying about Saul ruling was going to come true. And these were evidences that were from the Lord to back it up. It's like he wanted Saul to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is what he had been chosen for. And clearly God was orchestrating all this. Like he was making it happen. Uh, these things should have confirmed it, right? But, uh, and you would think Saul would be like, all right, we're, like, we're all in on it, right? Like it's a, it, it, I'm on board. But here's the story that happens next. Verse 14, Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where did you go? And he said, oh, to seek the donkeys. And when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. All right, so he tells him part of the story. He doesn't tell him the whole story. Nothing about, oh, by the way, I'm going to be king. <laughs> right? He hides that. Now, why? Well, maybe he's just being modest. I guess that's always a possibility. Maybe he's just scared, flat out scared of it. We're going to see some fear creep up here in a minute. Or maybe he just doesn't even really believe it. You know, like even though he's seen these signs, I'm not so sure about all this. But regardless of what he's thinking, like, look, as we're reading the story, it's clear to us, it should be clear to Saul that he was clearly the man chosen for this time, for this task. And so Samuel has anointed him to be the first king in the land. Then what? <laughs> right? It's a done deal, right? Saul's king? Nope. Again, process. There's a process unfolding here. Okay? So verse 17. Now, Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses, and you've said to him, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all of the tribes near Israel, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Right? So basically... He's like drawing names out of a hat, right? The tribe of Benjamin won the lottery. And he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans. And the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot, right? So three drawings, right? The Benjamites, the clan of the Matrites, and Saul were drawn out of the hat. But when they sought him, when they sought Saul, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? Like, well, has this guy just not been born, whoever this Saul dude is? Is he not with us? Where is he? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. You kind of wonder if that was said with a little bit of sarcasm, right? 
You wanted a king? God's giving you a king. Look at this guy. And then all the people shout in a very cliche way, Long live the king! Right? It's quite a story. What an amazing thing. They have a king. So, now look, Samuel calls these people together at Mizpah. And if you remember, this is from a couple weeks ago, this is where the people gathered 20 years earlier when their hearts had actually turned back to him. So this is a this is an important location. And uh, God then gave them victory over the Philistines after they gathered there. So this gathering place was likely very intentional on Samuel's part. But instead of, instead of just saying, look, God has spoken to me and your king is Saul, he randomly draws names out of hats. Right? Like seemingly this random way to name a king I mean, could you imagine like doing that for, say, the presidential election, right? Now, don't think too hard about that because I know some of you are thinking that might be better. Um, <laughs> but, but, but look, it's like, imagine going, all right, we're going to put all 50 states in a hat. We're going to pull a state out. And then we're going to take all of the cities and put those in a hat and take one out. And then from that city, we're going to take all of the eligible people and put their names in a hat and pull one out. And ladies and gentlemen, here is your president of the United States of America. Right? That's like a terrible plan, it seems like. But that's what Samuel does. He draws names out of a hat, which seems totally random. The only difference is he knows already God has revealed who is going to be chosen. It was always going to be Saul. And he even told Saul that. But he goes through this process of drawing the names out anyway. Talk about confidence in God. Like if anything was going to be a confirmation for Saul or for Samuel of God's will, like not only did he give him three signs, then he pulls his name randomly out of the hat out of anyone within the nation. So the people go looking for him and they bring him forward only to realize he's like a head taller than everybody else. They're like, whoa! This dude is clearly king material. Right? Long live the king. Verse 25, then finish up the chapter here. Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each to his home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah And with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. But he held his peace. Now that's kind of interesting, right? From day one, there's already opposition. They don't even know this guy. But they're already opposed. Probably because it wasn't them or their guy who got in. They resented their new king. The king that they had asked for despite God's warning. And yet Saul shows some restraint. Right? Again, that's another sign of character for him, at least from the start. Alright, so this is the end of the chapter. As we close out our time uh, in in the Word this morning, I want to just focus in on kind of one key takeaway. Right? Just one key takeaway and, and spend some time thinking about that. 
And here it is. It's around this. When God clearly speaks and moves, which he was clearly doing with Saul, don't hide from what's in store. Don't hide from what's in store. And here's kind of the, the one key takeaway for today. Is this, just step into God's will confidently and courageously. Right? Step into God's will with confidence and courage. Like God gave Saul all the evidence that he needed to prove that this was God's will for his life. The encounter with Samuel, if you remember right from the start, Samuel's like, oh, about those donkeys you're looking for. Saul hadn't mentioned that. Whoa, this guy knows. He gives him three events on the way home, (laughs) including this supernatural experience of God pouring His Spirit into him and him speaking the words of God, prophecies. Wow. And then his name being drawn out out of a hat at random? That should have put this whole thing over the top. Clearly, this is what God has in mind for him. And yet, where is Saul? Hiding. He's hiding. Now on the positive side, there's probably something that's good about this in the sense of like there's a degree of humility in Saul. He's not seeking to elevate himself. He's not like running up to the front. It's me! It's me! I'll be the king! Which, that's admirable. But it, and again, shows some character. But on the negative side, he's also fearful. Right? He's fearful. Like, and to be fair, that's somewhat understandable. Like, this is a daunting responsibility he's being thrust into. He's going to be the first king. It's not like even just stepping into an already established kingdom. It's like, okay, now I'm going to take on that role. There's, there's nothing. Which is why this story, there's a process here, right? They've never had a king before. They don't have anything in place. So it's a daunting responsibility that he's stepping into. But God clearly has given him all the evidence he needed to know that he was a guy. Like there should have been no doubt whatsoever that this was God's will. So he should have been able to step into God's will confidently and courageously. Yet instead, he's hiding from his destiny. So how about us? Right? When, when God clearly moves or speaks to us, look, don't hide from what he has in store. Step into God's will with courage and confidence. And so I want to ask or, or pose, I guess, two questions for you to consider about this. This idea of stepping into God's will with confidence and courage. And the first question is this. Who or what might you be hiding from? Who or what might you I be hiding from? Like is, there, is there something that God is asking you to do or you to be that you're afraid to step into? Is there something you're supposed to be doing that you're avoiding? That you know is His will? Like I'll just give some examples because I don't know, everyone might be in a different place here. But is God asking you to help someone? Is He asking you to love someone? 
or forgive someone. You're kind of hiding from that. Is God giving you an opportunity to engage with someone? Start a spiritual conversation. Build a relationship. Invite someone to church. Is, is that something maybe you're avoiding? Is God challenging you to give up a destructive behavior or sinful activity that you're involved in? You know, is it lying, gossip, vulgarity, drinking? sex outside of marriage, porn, whatever. Is there something that you know God is saying, this isn't what I want for you, but you're hiding. You're hiding. Is God calling you to give some of your time to serve Him or to spend more time with Him in prayer or in the Word or to gather for worship more consistently or to give more generously than you have been towards His purposes in some way? It, like, But we're hiding. Right? And I think that's the first question we have to ask ourselves. What, who, or what are we hiding from that maybe God is calling us to? Because look, whatever it is, or whoever it is, we, we don't want to let anything get in the way of us doing His will. That should be what we want to do if we're calling ourselves followers of Jesus. We should actually want to follow Him and do what He's calling us to. Right? So that's the first question. Who what are you hiding from? That's preventing you from stepping into God's will with courage and confidence. And the second question is this. What baggage are you hiding behind? Right? What baggage are you hiding behind? Like, look, when it comes to doing God's will, we all have baggage we can hide behind like Saul did. And we have to recognize what it yeah, we do have to recognize, first of all, who and what we're hiding from. That's important, but we should also identify what we're hiding behind. Right? What's protecting us? What's making us feel like, like this is okay? Like maybe the baggage is your fear. Or your anxiety. Or your insecurity. Maybe your baggage is comfort. Or uncertainty doubt. Maybe your baggage has to do with like mistakes you've made in your past. Maybe it's present struggles with sin. Or just you're worried about what the future holds. Maybe it's that worldly priorities get in the way. And look, probably for most of us, our baggage that we're hiding behind, it's not just like one thing. It's some combination of these things. There's a couple things. They don't seem that big in and of themselves, but you start to put them all out there, and boy, that's a lot of baggage to hide behind. Maybe it's something else completely that I haven't mentioned that comes to mind for you. We have to identify that baggage. And if you aren't sure what it is, then just try completing this statement about something that maybe God is calling you to. I can't do His will because... Fill in the blank. Right? If, it's, if it's what God is asking you to do, we should be able to trust that He's going to enable us to do it. So what is it that fills in the blank when you say, I can't do this because... What's the reason? 
And is it a reason or is it an excuse that you can't do the thing that God has called you to? that's probably your answer right there. That's my baggage. That's what I'm waiting for. So I just want to challenge us this week. This morning, maybe something's stirring up in you, but throughout this week, could you, could you consider digging deep and examining your heart, your life, and what is it that you tend to hide behind that holds you back from acting in faith with courage and confidence? Or what are you hiding from and what baggage are you hiding behind? Because I think if you take the time to consider these two questions carefully, you'll probably see what's preventing you from acting, taking the steps that God wants you to take. Then we can make a better choice. We can choose to trust. We can choose to follow. And to do kind of what the main point is for today, right? Step into God's will confidently and courageously. And and look, here's the encouragement. Each time we take a step of faith and do the thing that God asks us to do, it brings even greater confidence and courage for the future. It's just part of the process. Because we see that God came through. We see We're going to close this morning with some time in this song that I really, uh, I, I mean, I hadn't thought of it at first. It just sort of fit the be a chance for us to connect with that aspect of our, of our hearts. Right? Let me just, when I'm fearful, when I'm doubting, will I have the strength to my serving when I'm hidden? Will I trust the Father sees? for listening to the podcast of Portico Church in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. You can find out more about our church at porticocommunity.com.